This is Rabbi Elbaz from SLC. I trust you had a beautiful holiday, Shavuot holiday, and now you're charged up for more and more Torah. Hopefully, you committed yourself on the holiday of Matan Torah to increase your learning and knowledge of Torah. Today, I'm going to speak about the parasha we read yesterday, Parashat Nasu. There is a pasuk in Parashat Nasu, Perik uh, Hei, Pasuk Yud. And I'd like to speak about that pasuk first. And then I'm going to speak about the Nazir. It says, Ve'ish et kodashav lo yihiyu. Ish asher iten la kohen lo yihiyu. This pasuk, I know for a fact, you know, from practice, that uh, many my congregants uh, did not understand it because if you just translate the words, Ve'ishet kodashav lo yihiyu, a man, his kochim, his thing that is holy thing that belongs to him, lo yihiyu, that belong to him. What I mean? What I mean, the kochim, which kochim are we talking about? Well, we're talking about terumot ma'aserot. The terumot that you give to the kohen, right? Approximately 2% you give to the kohen. And the 10% you give to the Levi, some 10%, another one you give to the Master Ani. But these, it says that a man, these loyihiyu, they belong to him. Now, what does that mean, belong to him? Also, it says, Isha Shiri ten la Kohen loyihiyu. And whatever you give to the Kohen is yours. All right. That, that the, this last part uh, is can be understood. As the Rashi says, Isha Sheri Ten La Kohen Lo Yiyem Amon Gadol. In other words, if you give the Maserot, the Trumot Maserot to the Kohen, then you, Akadosh Baruch Hu, will reward you with more and more. Now, what does that mean? That Ishit Kodashav Lo Yiyu? What does that mean? So Rashi brings two Pshatim. Says Magid Shetovat Hanaala Baalim. Well, listen. This is your teruma, your maaser. You have the choice, lo you meaning you have the choice to give it to the coin that you will, that you want. If you want this coin instead of that coin, you can give it them. That's what it means, lo you have the choice. But then there's another pshat that he brings from the Midrash. The person who delays or you know, does not want to give his maaserot, no, not none. Then he doesn't want to give him. Lo That's what he's going to end up with, with the maaser. Meaning, This guy is going to be punished. That his land will not give more than the 10%. While the land before gave 100%, when he gave the 10%, he gets the 90%. But if he doesn't give, no, he gets nothing. Now, there's another shot that uh, I would like to uh, to bring up. And this, I want to tell you a little story. This story was uh, written in uh, Rabbi Pesach Kron's books. 
And it talks about, this story happened in 1920, the true story. And there was a yeshiva in Lithuania with 150 students. And all of a sudden, the government decided that uh, all the people, these uh, students, uh, like everybody else, they should go drafted and go to the, to, to the army. Well, you know what happens when they go to the army. Everything is gone. Uh, uh, the, the government uh, is not going to give them uh, time to learn or kosher food or anything like that. It was terrible. So the Rosh Yeshiva decided he's going to take all these students and transfer them to Eretz Israel and build the yeshiva over there. Or at least rent a place, whatever. At least they'll be learning. He need the money. So he came to America. And he wanted to go a few people, you know, a few wealthy people. And people told him, go to see Mr. Schiff. But he was known as a philanthropist. And he expected to get... Uh, some nice donation. He needed $25,000 total. In those days, there was a lot of money. I figured he'll get a few thousand from this one, a few thousand from that one. When he goes to Mr. Schiff, he tells him the story. He took it very seriously. He took out a checkbook, made him a check of the full $25,000. He says, go right ahead. And he did. Transferred all the students so this Israel had his yeshiva over then. I will learn big zechut. That was in 1920. Now, forward a little bit under 10 years was a depression. In 1929, the depression started and Mr. Schiff lost everything. Everything he had, he lost in the market. His real estate, everything. He used to own tons of buildings. And he ended up miskin in an apartment in a basement in one of his buildings that he used to own. To make a story short, the Rosh Yeshiva came to America again, and uh, he wanted to, more money. He needed money for to run the Yeshiva. Of course, where did he go to? Mr. Schiff. He asked around, and told him, "Okay, he's in that uh, basement apartment over there." He goes to see him, and they see in such a pitiful uh, state that he is. So they understood he can't give the money. But he, they said to him, look, we're going to have a parlor meeting. Meaning, a parlor meeting is a meeting of some well-to-do people that come, they speak, and hopefully they try to in, in, incite them to give more for the yeshiva. So said, okay, I'll go and speak. Part of the speech was the following. He says to them, see, all these buildings around here, including this building where I am right now, where I live right now, he said, they all belong to me at one time. But you see, they're gone. And there's one thing that never went. The $25,000 that I gave them, that never got. It never went anywhere. It's still in my credit. Upstairs, they're recorded. Everything else is gone. Whatever you make in this world, it's going to stay in this world. You spend it, still, you get nothing for it. Unless you use it for sedakot ma'asim tovim. Then it goes with you. So this is what he meant by ish 
et kodashav lo yihyu. A person, whatever holy thing he does, will always stay with him forever. Lo yihyu. It'll be registered on his credit upstairs and will stay with him forever. This brings us to the case of the Nazir. The Nazir also does certain things that probably will stay with him. The, the Torah says the Nazir is Kadosh. Kadosh. What that means, Kadosh. Uh, they give him a ma'ala almost like the, the Kohen Gadol because the Kohen Gadol cannot be mitameh even to his uh, relatives. A Kohen, a Kohen Hediot, a, re, a regular Kohen, if his father or mother passed away, yeah, he can go, he can go uh, uh, with the uh, with the coffin, it's not a problem. But not the Kohen Gadol. And the Nazir, he cannot also, he cannot be mitame even to his parents. Okay? Now, what is the ma'ala of this, uh, of, of this Nazir? What's his ma'ala? Okay, let me, let me explain a, um, a little passage from Pirkei Avot. And perhaps we can understand this ma'ala of this, of this nazir. It says that there are three crowns. Shelosha ketarim hem. Three crowns. Keter malchut, the crown of royalty. Keter kehuna, the crown of the Kohen Gadol. And Keter Torah, crown of the Torah. And then at the end it says, Keter shem tov, ole al gabehem. The crown of a good name is above them all. What does that mean? Well, some say, you know what? You have a king. If a king has a bad name, so what? It's nothing. Everybody's going to hate him. Or if you have a coin gadol, again, if he has a bad name, no good. Or even a time in Hakam has a bad name. Nobody, you know, nobody wants him. Still bad. So Keter Shem Tov is above them all because without that Keter Shem Tov, then all the other Keterim are not worth anything. That's one pshat. Another pshat. Let's look at the effort that is made in order to be able to achieve this, this status of Keter Malchut, Keter Kehuna, Keter Torah. The malchut, hardly any effort. Why? If you're the son of a king, you become a king. Not much, really, uh, not much effort from the, the, the person himself to become a king. Well, keter keuna is a little bit higher. Why? Because uh, in order to be the coin at all, you have to fit in. You have uh, uh, not just anyone. It's not necessarily if the father is going at all, the second his son will be going at all. It doesn't work that way. You have to really work hard at it. And you have to, uh, to, to, to fit in. And, and you have to have certain uh, uh, personality traits that would be worthy of you to be a Kohen Gadol. So there's more, more work. There's more effort involved. When it comes to Ketir Torah, it's even more. Even more. You cannot achieve the crown of Torah unless you really spend almost a lifetime learning. He didn't spend one second 
not learning. All his life, all he does is learning. Oh, he was Zohek at Torah? Sure. Moshe finds the Allah Shalom. Same thing. All their life, all they do, all they know is Torah. Torah v'avodah, that's it. Requires even more effort. Now, the Keter Shem Tov also requires a tremendous effort. Why? It's not only the effort from you that you have to work hard to be able to achieve such a great name. But you have, Keter Shem Tov means that other people are recognizing that you have that Keter Shem Tov, not just you. You got to work hard, not only you, but you have to somehow make the others recognize, yes, you do have a Shem Tov. Tremendous, more effort. The Nazir is doing something which is by choice, an effort. What does the Nazir do? He doesn't drink wine. 30 days, 60 days, whatever. Normally 30 days, but it could be more. So, fine. And he doesn't cut his hair for 30 days, 60 days, whatever he wants. He doesn't, he's not mitame. So, to matmet for 30 days. Well, you could say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Hey, I, I many times I, I don't drink alcohol for 30 days. Many times I don't cut my hair for 30 days. Many times I, 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 I don't go to funerals for 30 days or 60 days. Yeah, but that's by choice. That's by choice. The Nazir has forbidden himself to do so. That's a, a different thing. It's a, a, another mala. He is doing something where he's going to be isolating himself He's going to be only trying to meditate in Torah Ma'asim Tovim. He doesn't, he tries to stay from sin altogether by making himself a little bit ugly with the long hair, by, by you know, lick, what does liquor do? Makes you frivolous and you want to do all kinds of crazy things. Uh, so this is the kind of thing. He is trying to be holy by leaving the mundane things and try to do only those things that will be more acceptable in the eyes of HaKadosh Baruch He chooses to be so. It's another very important concept that we learn from the parasha of the Nazir. What's that? Now, listen carefully. In the Pirkei Avot again, it says, Moshe Kibel Torah Misinad, Moshe Rabbeinu, he received the Torah from Sinai. From Kadosh Baruch Hu, there was Nigla that revealed himself in Sinai. He brought over to Yeshua, Yeshua to the elders, elders to the Nevi'im, the prophets, the prophets to the Anshik Neset made up of 120 sages. Then he says, Hem Amru Devarim. The Anshik Neset said three things that they emphasized. Badin, be very patient. When a case comes to you, you judges, when a case comes to you, be patient. Look at it carefully. Don't say, oh, you know what? Three years ago I had a similar case. I know what the outcome is. No. No two cases are identical. Bring, produce as many Talmidim as possible because you never know who's going to be the Gadol Ador. 
from a poor family, a rich family, uh, a foreign family, we don't know. Uh, he didn't come from a wealthy family. And there was a ma'aseh with him that he almost, you know, if not for Hakam Shalom, who singled him out, he, he right away he knew that this young man, even at the age of 12, he knew this man was brilliant. A young, a young child, he was brilliant. And he made sure he would learn in yeshiva. That's then the next thing which I want to spend a little time on, put a fence around the Torah. A fence around the Torah. What does that mean? That means, well, okay, you know what? I'm going to take a Sefer Torah, put it in a room, and I'm going to build a fence around it. <laughs> as if you take it literally, but that's not what it means. Let me give you a parable. Let's say you have a garden. Garden has beautiful, really juicy fruits, beautiful trees, but it's open. You may have a sign there, please do not take any fruits. People are not going to listen to you. It's open. Some people will come in and take. Right? Now we put a fence around it. Now there's much, uh, much more of, of a chance that these people uh, will not go and take. They're not going to climb up a fence. Not going to do that. So what does the fence do? It prevents you from going into what you're not supposed to do. It prevents you from something that you're not supposed to do, like take the fruit. That's what the Asus Yagla Torah means. You do put some kind of a prohibition so that you don't come to do the actual uh, uh, the violation of the commandment of the Torah. I'll give you an example. Shofar on Shabbat Rosh Hashanah. We blow the Shofar on Rosh Hashanah. It's a mitzvah in the Torah. Yom teruhay lachem, mitzvah in the Torah. Hachamim said, you know what? Sorry, you cannot blow the Shofar on Shabbat. Even though in the earlier days they did. No, you can't. Why? Because maybe there's someone out there. Maybe two, maybe ten people, whatever. He's, some people out there, they might take the shofar and carry it on Shabbat. So because of the carrying of Shabbat, which is carrying is one of the 39 melachot, till two, he said, you cannot blow the shofar. Imagine, Rabbi the seriousness of this decree, of this fence here. The whole Klal Israel are not going to blow the shofar because of that man there, or two, or three, or ten men, that perhaps they might carry it. That's how serious it is. You have a, you have a, a commandment, don't carry it. You put a fence around it. Don't blow it on Shabbat. And nobody's going to carry it. So, so where did the Hachamim get this concept of building a fence from the parasha of today? What's the parasha of today? What happened to the parasha of today? We have a Nazir. 
And as here the Torah says, you cannot have any wine on anything that's made from wine, you know, cognac or brandy, whatever, alcoholic drink. But then it adds, okay, Mikol not only that, but he can't even have anything that's made from wine, that's made from grapes. Not just the wine. If it's not, if, if it even has no alcohol. You can have grape juice. You cannot have grape soda. You can't have grape lollipop, whatever. You can't. That's the fence. The Torah is telling us that's a good thing to do. Put a fence around it. So that he doesn't come to drink the wine itself. We tell him, you know what? Can't even have grape soda. Can't have grape juice. Now this is a very novel idea. It's an idea that is unique to our religion. And this is not usually found in civil law. Let me give you a case, for example, that happened in America. In 1920, Congress passed a law banning the sale of wine, whiskey, any alcoholic drink. But that's it. Wine whiskey, alcoholic drink. But not, there's no fence around it. It didn't say, oh, now you cannot sell wine, then you cannot sell grapes either, or grape soda, or grape juice. Don't say that. No fence. It's something that our hachamin have devised in order to protect the layman. The person who's not, he's not so knowledgeable and he might, you know, fall into the trap of violating the commandment of the Torah. It says, no, don't do it. Well, so this concept was really initiated in our cherished Torah and then taken on by the Hachamim. I would like to extend this concept to another application. What is a fence? A fence is a prevention scheme. Like the alarm system, let's say. That's a prevention mechanism to keep away people from, from hurting you. And you know what else is a fence to prevent a tragedy? The fence that Israel had built in the Gaza Strip. That's right. That's a prevention mechanism. If they didn't have the fence, you could have perhaps 10,000 people or more, will go right in. What are you going to do? What do you think they have in mind? Huh? What do they have in mind? Let me tell you what they think they have in mind. Give me an example. In 2014, ha- Hamas and Mahshimam members, they murdered three young innocent teenagers in cold blood, just like that. And the whole world started which finally ended ended up with a truce. Okay, there was a truce there. Well, let me tell you a story that happened just then. Very interesting. Listen carefully. A few days before the truce, before the ceasefire, perhaps 10 days, whatever, it's in 2014, remember, in July. And keep in mind that the next year, 2015, was a Shemitah year. Okay, so what happened then? 
Shemitaya, of course, he can't, uh, he can't grow anything, he can't work on the land, so, so you, essentially you don't have any, uh, wheat or barley or whatever necessities or vegetables. So there was this religious, uh, uh, group that came, they, and they were looking for a nice big field that has wheat in it so that they can harvest it right away instead of them sowing it and, 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 and uh, irrigating and working and getting it and so on before the Shemitah year figured, you know, why go to all the bother? If we can find something nice, we'll just take it and we'll store it and we'll use it for the next two years, two and a half years, whatever. Lo and behold, they found one that was right at the border of the Gaza Strip. Nice, beautiful, luscious uh, stalk of wheat, five feet high. Oh, they went to the farmer and they told, look, we're going to buy the whole thing. So it's better for you. You know, instead of harvesting a little bit at a time, selling a little bit, we got everything. They haggle over the price, whatever. Finally, yeah, they got it. Couple of days, they raised everything. Everything, they harvested everything they want. It became like a flat land. In Mahshimam, the Hamas people didn't know that. They thought that, hey, they're still five foot high there, and they will come through the tunnel, come out, and this will protect them. Nobody will see them. But when they came out, they saw there was nothing. Everything was was flat, nothing. And there's many tens of eyes up in the air looking immediately within perhaps a minute and a half or so, two minutes at the most, the Israeli Air Force got wind of it. They came, they killed half of them, and the rest went back. These people were heavily armed. What do you think they were going to? What, what did they have in mind? They had in mind to go commit murder, massacre, as much damage as possible, life, perhaps taking prisoners, so they can exchange them later on with thousands of their own people. That's what happened. These Palestinians now, who were going to cross the fence, what do you think they had in mind? Same thing. As much damage as possible. But Baruch Hashem, Akadosh Baruch is always with us. It helped. That fence was there for a beautiful purpose, not to cause any damage. There was a little bit of property damage from the kites, the fire is that, but in general, Baruch Hashem, the wall means something. A fence, whether it is a spiritual fence in our religion or a physical fence, does help. This is why perhaps the President Trump wants to build also a wall between America and Mexico. And you know what? He wants Mexico to pay for it. I don't know if that's going to happen. But certainly, building a wall, not a bad idea. Oh yeah, he was parading around, Mexico will pay for it. Well, in the meantime, there is a joke going around. Right? It's a nice, nice, decent joke. And the joke goes like this. 
President Trump is shouting loud and clear, I am going to build the Beit HaMikdash. I am going to build the Beit HaMikdash under budget. I'm going to build the Beit HaMikdash ahead of schedule. <laughs>